And as uh, you come to find your seats, which are right beneath you, I trust, let me encourage you to turn to your Bibles, Romans chapter 4, we're looking at this morning, Romans 4, and from verses 1 through to 3. Uh, And uh, Romans chapter 4, we looked at this last night at the South Wheaton campus, Uh, John already mentioned that uh, meeting at 5 o'clock Saturdays, and uh, we had a good time, so I'm looking forward to studying it with you this morning, Romans 4, verses 1 to 3. Uh, My voice is a little sore, so I'm going to take a sip of water. And um, as I I did at the 8 o'clock service, it reminds me of a story that John Stott used to tell whenever he had to drink water, which is the following. There was a a pastor who was rather strict, and uh, he had a number of uh, students studying with him, you know, sort of like our pastoral residency or something like that. And he would drink not water but milk when he was preaching. And one day the students decided to play a joke on this preacher and they put whiskey in the milk. And so, you know, he uh, took a little sip and then he sort of looked at it and then he drank the whole thing down. (laughs) And then he looked out and said, what a cow. (laughs) That's... John Stott's story. There was a bishop at the 8 o'clock service, a retired bishop from Uganda who knew John Stott, and we were talking afterwards and said he loved to tell that story. He did over and over again. It's a great story. Well, let's pray as we come to uh, the Bible. Let's pray. Our Lord, we have sung uh, already some amazing uh, words. Uh, What love is this? How deep the Father's love It is uh, vast beyond all measure. And uh, indeed, we do wonder at that uh, that amazing love. And uh, we wish to say, I know this with all my heart. And for many of us here this morning, we we do know this, and yet sometimes not with all our hearts. Uh, if we're honest, and so we pray this morning you renew us. For some here this uh, morning, such words uh, resonate only with the kind of thing that they expect Christians to sing and believe, but they don't yet believe. And we pray uh, for us, if if that is us, that we would come to um, see who you are and have a vision for who you are and be able to confess this with all our heart too. Uh, But for all of us, Lord, we pray uh, that as we come now to your word by your spirit, we will be able to know this with all our heart, the truth of the gospel around which we gather. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham? Our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, for those of you who've been following along in our series in Paul's letter to the Romans, you'll realize that we've got to chapter 4, having been in uh, chapter 3. And not only is this a change of chapter, it's also the next stage 
of uh, Paul's argument. And when I say argument, I don't mean that he's being argumentative, but Paul is a logical thinker. He wants us to follow the case that he's making. He wants us to grasp it and to think differently about it. He wants us to be able to have in our minds the truth and to be able to see that and understand that and grasp it. Next stage in uh, his argument. And what Paul has been saying is that we're justified by faith apart from works. Now the question, of course, uh, that that brings up is, well, was that always uh, the case, Paul? Uh, In other words, are you making this up? Is this something uh, new? Is this your idea? Or uh, is there some other basis for that claim that we're not justified by works? It's a part uh, from works. Well, straight away we have an application, don't we? It's important, isn't it, that uh, whenever we hear some new idea or doctrine or teaching, we test it by Scripture. And that's what Paul is doing. What shall we say Abraham discovered about this or attained in this regard? He's going back to the Old Testament. And of course, for the Christians at the time, uh, the Old Testament, uh, that was their Scripture, their Scriptures. Uh, the, The apostles are writing the New Testament, and so the Old Testament was their Bible. It was their scriptures. And so he's uh, going back uh, to the Bible. And of course, the lack of doing this has caused all sorts of problems for Christians down through the ages and today. So there's some new movement, something exciting is going on in Christendom. The media have caught uh, news about this and lots of people turning up. It's selling a lot of books must be good, right? Well, first of all, we need to test it by the Bible. And that's what Paul did, and that's what we must do. Now, what Paul says Abraham discovered is quite remarkable. The word for discovered or attained uh, in the ESV translation is the same word uh, that was used by Archimedes, the root the same word, the mathematician Archimedes. You may know this. When he made a great discovery, he said, he shouted, Eureka, at least that's the story we have. I've found it. I've attained it in that sense. I've discovered. I've, I, I, I've been living my life, and um, I've been thinking about this, and now I finally got it. It's revealed to me. I get it now. I've discovered it. It's It's like an archaeologist digging up an ancient manuscript. Okay, I've discovered it. Or perhaps there's a Bronze Age pot that's been discovered in Egypt somewhere. Dig it up. Or maybe how the early uh, settlers went across America and they discovered the passage west. Discovered it. Now, friends, again, by immediate application, it's important, isn't it, to realize that the most significant things, the most important things about God do not come easily. Uh, Just because it is by faith alone does not mean it's easy. doesn't mean that discovery is easy. That's not at all the case. I mean, think of Martin Luther who rediscovered this truth. Uh, Martin Luther had to come to almost despair before he got it. And Abraham did not get it straight away. He made many mistakes. This was a discovery. It was not 
sit back and soak it up. You see, if we come to church as consumers, then we will miss out. Abraham did not buy this, he discovered. He did not consume, he discovered. It took effort, it took attention, it took hard work in that sense, though no works at all in the other sense. And Abraham's life tells this whole story of how he discovered, attained, realized that he was justified without works of the law. Who was it who said this? No great work of God can be done without great cost. So perhaps you want to have an Abrahamic-like impact on the world. What is going to take an Abrahamic-like life? Now, what did Abraham discover? He discovered it was not by works. In other words, he discovered that he was justified not on account of any good deeds that he had done. So this is the way that Paul's thinking. Abraham is, of course, before Moses, and Moses brought the Ten Commandments and the sacrificial law and all that. But at this point in the Bible, there was no sacrificial law, at least not in its full-orbed sense. Uh, There was not also any circumcision. Paul quotes the text, comes from Genesis 15 that we had read out earlier, and circumcision, the sign of the covenant, came in uh, chapter 17. So there's no sign of the covenant either. No, it's just faith, nothing else. Now, we said this once or twice before in our series, but to be justified means justify, just if I believe. So I have a right standing before God solely on account of my trusting God, nothing else. It's not the sign of the covenant that saves me. It's not baptism. It's not church attendance. Now, I'm glad you're here, so I want to encourage church attendance. Many good reasons to come, but it's not what will justify you. It's not how I say my prayers You know, I say it a certain kind of way or with a certain kind of passion. It's not that either. It's not even being a good person. And a lot of people find that hard to grasp. Why is that? Why is being a good person not what justifies us? Well, the argument that Paul's making here is that if it were, then Abraham and anyone else would have something to boast about. So here's Paul's thinking. You see, if you or I or Abraham got right before God by our own good works of whatever kind, then we would have something about which to be proud. And that means that God would not get all the glory. See, if that were the case, if we were justified at least partly by works, then when we stand before God on the last day, we would point to some of the good things that we had done. And therefore, we would boast. Other people had not done so many good things. They are not saved. We had done uh, more good things. We are saved. So we would be proud about that, of course, boasting about that. Well, Paul's saying it's by faith because that honors God. 
Now, my friends, we can take the same argument that Paul was making here and use it as a, as a diagnosis, turn it as a diagnosis. If someone is proud before God, it is because they are thinking they are doing something to please Him in their own works or strength. Now, there can be many other branches off the tree, but at root, at the foundation, there can be no other cause. That's why they're proud before God. They think they're contributing to their salvation through their own works. Or again, just turning the same thing Paul's saying here, another notch, another slightly different direction. If uh, we want to humble people, there there are people who seem very proud about their religion. If we want to do that, what we need to do is point out it's not their own doing by which they are blessed. So here we are. We have many blessings at College Church. It's got nothing to do with our own works. Nothing. Or let me put it like this. Christianity is the only religion in the world that is not a religion. So perhaps you've come in here today saying to yourself, you know, blah, 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 here we go, more religion. But religion is not like this. Religion is by works, going to Mecca. See, that is the, the great mistake. This is the great mistake that is at the root, at the foundation of the heresy of Islam. You perform the five pillars of Islam, uh, you got pilgrimage and all this, and, and you're doing the right thing. You kill other people in holy war and you get to go to paradise and find some virgins or something. It's all a totally religious view of religion. So when people tell me that they are against religion, uh, I find myself wanting to say, I could not agree more. <laughs> I am against religion too. Abraham was against religion. It was what he discovered, that being justified before God was not religious. So if someone tells you that being saved means performing this religious ritual, that religious act or good deed or whatever, what does that tell you? What that tells you is that at that point at least, they are not yet really the child of Abraham. Now we hope that they will become that. Uh, but we need to understand they're not yet there yet in order to help them. They don't get it. They don't, they don't get what Abraham discovered here, that it is not by works. And so he had nothing to boast about. Uh, could it be also that sometimes in churches, this sort of uh, same kind of attitude can even set in in church circles? Uh, is that, in fact, sometimes why churches get stuck because they get proud of their own attainments? They begin to think they're better than people who do not go to church because they are being religious. And being religious makes you right with God. But that's all the wrong approach. Being religious does not make you right with God, no, it just makes you proud. <laughs> So if you're thinking like that, then that kind of person is still far away from God because they're not 
justified by faith. They're trying to do it by their works. And in fact, they're even harder to reach as well because they are proud about it before God. So the most difficult people to reach actually are not the down and outs and the disadvantaged and the poor. I, I know I stand here, you know, in my suit and with my posh accent and, and you know, you probably think I was practically born in a library. But in reality, I've done quite a lot of ministry in international areas with, you know, people who've recently gone through a civil war and inner cities and, and all this. And I can tell you that such folk, generally speaking, do not find it hard to believe that they will not be justified by their own works. Not all of them, but it's not a hard message to get across. On the other hand, as Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, and we might add especially a rich religious man, to get into the kingdom of God. So we need to watch out for pride, especially religious pride. And then Abraham discovered all this. He discovered that it was not the case that he was justified by works. Well, how did he discover it? Well, he discovered he had nothing to boast about. So even the person who does religious things, at some point, if they have any idea of God, will realize they cannot boast before God. Abraham, you may remember, was at his wit's ends. He had been called he was being tested. Where was this inheritance of being blessed and being blessed? Go, Abraham, I'll make your name great. I'll make you a blessing, and all nations we bless before you. But Abraham uh, had no child at all. He was 75 when he left Ur to go to the promised land. Uh, by the way, if you think being radical for God is something for young people, then think again. Seventy-five was the time Abraham started. And so those of us who are in our late 70s, uh, we need to follow the example of Abraham and live radically now. That is, live with the mindset of what's going to bless the next generation. That's Abrahamic, radical. And so he left behind all his comfort, and then Abraham was being tested and God took him outside. Do you remember? He took him outside. He, he said, look up at the stars, Abraham. Uh, can you see them? Count them if you can. I wonder whether you've ever looked up at the, the night sky on a clear night, perhaps around Honey Rock or somewhere in Wisconsin, and there are no street lamps, and you can, it's a clear night. Our galaxy is called the Milky Way. And it's called that because with the naked eye, when you look up on a clear night without any uh, streetlights around, uh, it appears milky. That is, there's so many stars that the naked eye cannot actually distinguish them all. Uh, scientists estimate there are something like 100 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy. Well, of course, Abraham, with the naked eye, could not count all those, but there are far too many to count. All those blessings to all nations, to be all fulfilled ultimately through faith in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. The Abrahamic blessing is coming to those who believe in Jesus. Well, how is that going to happen without an heir, a child? 
born to Sarah, who could have no children. She could not have children. And Abraham, both of whom are very old. How's that going to happen? He's been tested. And the answer, God promised it would. And Abraham believed God, as uh, Paul quotes, and God credited it to him or counted it to him as righteousness. So this is what Abraham discovered. It was faith. It was taking God at his word. I once uh, studied, studied this passage in Genesis, Genesis 15, verse 6, and the surrounding context with a rabbi. I, I was interested to see how they would interpret it, and it would be good, for, I thought, for my Hebrew to do it with the rabbi. And it was fascinating for me to realized that she found it very surprising that I was even interested in this passage. It wasn't really a part of their whole worldview, at least in that little group of rabbi scholarship. For them, it was all about the law, about rules, about religion. But before all that, there was Abraham. And what did he discover, says Paul? He discovered it was justification by faith. Justify, just if I believe. Well, now you're saying to me, you know, Josh, uh, that's all very well, but why does this matter to me? I believe in God. I trust God. I admit I don't always find it easy, but at least I I, I do my best to trust him. I I read my Bible. I pray. I believe in the creeds. I, I believe the Bible. I trust God even when times are tough. What's the point of all this for me? Well, what Paul is saying is that Abraham is a a matrix through which we can understand the answer to that question. You see, a lot of people seem to think of faith as something passive. I believe, and that's it. But Paul says, now, let's look then at the life of Abraham. Now, you remember that story, don't you? You remember how he left Ur and then traveled around and had no idea where he was going. (laughs) You remember how his nephew Lot abandoned him and then how Abraham had to rescue Lot? And you remember how he did not have a child and so he sired a child through a maidservant, Hagar, and how much trouble that has caused the world as uh, that uh, child being Ishmael and the fight between who is the legitimate child of Abraham, Isaac, or Ishmael still impacts, affects our world today. And you remember, don't you, how he took God at his word, that somehow his promise would be fulfilled, and there must be some bigger meaning that he could not understand, even when he was asked uh, to be uh, tested in regard to his son, uh, Isaac, after he had been born. As the Bible said, he figured that God could even raise the dead, and so he trusted his promise, and God provided a ram so that there was another sacrifice. And perhaps you remember how the Bible says at the end that Abraham died old and full of years. And, says Paul, think of all that, and uh, what does that tell you about faith? Now, can you see it? Uh, Perhaps you've heard the story of the boy who was once asked the definition of faith in his Sunday school class. And uh, you know what he said, uh, faith is believing that which is not true. Well, a lot of us think like that, don't we, when we're honest? 
Or if we think it is believing that which is true, we are currently completely intellectually persuaded, we still think faith is believing in a way that makes no difference to how you live. Well, did Abraham's faith make no difference to how he lived? He was a rich businessman with the equivalent of lots of stocks and shares. Cattle at the time were a security. And he had a larger staff of employees, servants. And yet, he was radical. He went. Faith is radical. I'm not saying you have to leave everything physically, though maybe some of you uh, may be called to do that. But I'm not saying you have to leave everything physically necessarily, any more than you have to go out and own some cattle to be like Abraham. But I am saying it needs to make a difference. It needs to be radical. Uh, Perhaps you've heard this, faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Risk. You have to risk on the promises of God. It's not empty risk. It's not crazy, insane, stupid risk. But it's taking God at his word, the most sensible thing to do, and yet the most radical thing to do. Go, and I'll bless you, and you will be a blessing to all nations. Go and uh, this will be what happens. It will happen if you take the risk of faith. Well, you say to me, what does that mean in practice? Well, in practice, it means living like Abraham. He is the model. So, for instance, you take the risk of being vulnerable about what you really need praying for in a Bible study. You're, you're, you're bear one another burdens, and, and you're actually going to do that. You know, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm not sure whether everyone will approve if when someone asks me what I would like praying for, instead of saying, I would like you to pray for my great aunt Mildred's ingrowing toenail or whatever, you know. You know, please pray for me. I'm really struggling. I've only had five quiet times a day. I'm, I'm worried about my spiritual life, you know. And, but instead of all that, you say, when someone asks you, what can, you, what can they pray for you? You say, I've been depressed for the last six months. Would you please pray for me? Now, you can't say that to everyone, but I hope there is some context around the Bible where you can share that in one of our small groups. Or it means looking at your career choices differently. Now, it doesn't mean everyone has to be a minister In fact, if you can do anything else, do it. Being a preacher is a very high calling. Don't misunderstand me. And pastoral work is a high call uh, from God. It is to be honored, and that will be another message. Yes, that's true. But it's not for everyone. And if you can do something else, that is, if there is not this intense pressure from inside confirmed by the community of the church, If you can do something else, then do something else. Abraham was not a pastor. He was a rich, nomadic employer of large groups of people with lots of animals. 
but it means choosing to do your career in a way that honors God. For instance, instead of worshiping your career, working at family life and playing at church, first and foremost, you now worship your God. And so you disciple young Christians. You take time for that. You give your um, most valuable resource, time, to uh, do discipleship. Or you take the risk of telling someone about Jesus at work, even if it might impact some deal. It means how you do school is different as well. For instance, when someone says uh, to you, you know, what did you do this weekend? You tell them uh, that you were at church. And when they look at you strangely, you can tell them that uh, you learned that Christianity is not a religion at all. And that should start a conversation. You do school differently. It means you do church differently too. We do church differently as well. To encounter God when we worship together means coming with a sense of risk, an abandon, a seeking after God, a desire, a desperate desire for Him. You do prayer differently. I think I've shared this with a few of us beforehand, but when my uh, high school in one week saw 100 people converted, many of whom are now serving God in very strategic places, some ministers, some business leaders, various things, I found out later that five Christian teachers had been meeting on Saturday mornings to pray for revival every Saturday for 10 years. So we do prayer differently. Most of all, it means we treat God differently. So if we approach uh, with our works, we approach God proudly, and that means we keep him at arm's length. Uh, We don't embrace, we don't run to him like the prodigal son. I've got nothing to offer, I'm just going to fall on my knees. We don't throw ourselves before him with risk on his promises. But with faith, well, now there's an openness and embrace and intimacy and experience that only faith uh, can, can give us, which all means this. Faith is not a work either. You see, Abraham did not believe in belief. What a big mistake so many people make in this regard. You know, they say to themselves, I'm a person of faith. Well, faith in what? In who? Faith as belief without a vision of God, well, that is utterly pointless. See, this is not the power of positive thinking. This is not wishing it was so. This is not, you know, you've just got to believe. You've got to have faith. That's not what Abraham discovered. Not at all. What did he discover? He, he discovered God. God spoke. God showed him. God met him. 
And of course then, he had nothing to boast about, not before God. I mean, if ever anyone is proud, it just shows they don't know much about God. Even if they are proud about how much they know about God, by definition, it must mean that really they know very little about God because God, above all, if we know him, will make us throw away boasting. <laughs> Abraham did not discover belief, not as in believing in believing or having faith in faith or faith for faith's sake or staying positive. Abraham had some terrible moments. He made some terrible mistakes. He did not, I I am pretty sure, always feel good about life. I mean, that, that, that too is a religion, isn't it? The religion of having to always feel good. I mean, if that were the case, how many people would there be left in the Bible? Faith is not about being positive. Faith is not about faith in itself. Faith, this true biblical faith, is about a vision of God. Abraham discovered God. He heard God. He met God. He knew God, and therefore he trusted God. God is real, you see. That's what Abraham discovered. This is not a system or a set of rules or a perfect program that some committee at College Church has sort of dreamt up over a series of meetings and is now presenting. If you follow every step in order, then you'll be just fine. This is about the living God. What does that mean? Well, it means you can start again. People are so much more cruel than God is about this, aren't they? People will often not give you a second chance. Uh, The woman caught in adultery, the people around wanted to kill her, but Jesus said, "Um, go and sin no more. Or David, when he had messed up, asked to fall into the hands of God, not that of people, for people don't find it easy to forgive. We, we all find it so hard to forgive. Well, Abraham was not perfect either, but this is not about you or, or them or what you have or have not done. It's about God, God's Son, God's perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. Where every sin was born, uh, carried. Where the whole and entire price for your sin was paid. Where God himself suffered for you. And he rose again. And uh, by his spirit, he is here with gracious power. And he is calling you. Go and I'll make your name a blessing. That is, follow Christ. Put your faith in him. Live with the vision of God always before you, like Abraham. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we uh, do uh, pray that we would have that vision of who you are.
that uh, we would take you at your word. Lord, uh, we pray this for those of us who have um, followed you for many years and can get into a sense of routine. And sometimes that can hide where your word is pointing out something that needs to change or risk on your promise that needs to be taken. Lord, we pray this also for those of us who uh, have not yet encountered you at all. Would you help us to take you at your word? That uh, you are about blessing internationally through the promise given to Abraham fulfilled in Jesus. By your spirit, would you grant us that uh, faith? That is to embrace you, God, for who you are. We pray also for those of us who perhaps um, struggling with schoolwork. Would you help us as we look at a test or some paper we have to write and it makes us very anxious? Would you help us to uh, trust that you have a plan for us, that you've given us gifts to use and even in failure you can redeem that for your purpose? Would you help us to walk by faith, to trust your promises? Would you help those of us who perhaps wake up at one in the morning unable to sleep? Uh, Perhaps uh, we, like uh, Abraham, are thinking about our children. And it is a deep burden to us. Would you help us to trust you that as we align ourselves with uh, you and your plan of blessing for all nations, that there will be a great inheritance of which uh, we get to participate And so we pray that by your spirit you would grant us this faith in you, our Lord God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.